This podcast series has been brought to you by Tesco in partnership with the Camogie Association. Tesco, every little helps. On this week's show, we're talking about a sometimes tricky subject, parents and sport. Delighted to be joined by Gordon McClellan, CEO of Working With Parents in Sport, an organisation who support other organisations, parents and coaches in working together to provide children with the best possible sporting experience. Gordon gives insight to the challenges parents in sport face, he talks about building positive relationships between coaches and parents, and the importance of maintaining fun in sport for our youth players, with long-term participation being the key priority. You can subscribe to the Coaching Bubble podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud and you can keep up to date with all things podcast related on social media at Bubble Coaching. Gordon, thanks a million for coming on and giving up your time to come on the show. So there's loads of different starting points we could go into around parents and sports, but I think we'll jump in with how parents can actually support uh, players as youth, uh, youth players. How can they support them as best they possibly can? That's a big question to start, isn't it? It's such a, a, a difficult role, the, the one of parenting in general, but certainly sports parenting as well. Um, I think, you know, the reality is that unless we've got sort of sports backgrounds and coaching backgrounds, we, we've really got to do a, a good job in trying to, you know, inform ourselves of what really healthy sports development looks like. Um, you know, I think that... If we're not involved specifically in sports, I think we get swept along by, uh, I guess, the TV and how the wider society perceives sport. And I, I think that some of our behaviours and some of the way that we seem to think that we need to behave very much relates to what we see on the TV, which is very different to what the sort of youth sports space needs to look like so unless we've got people out there sort of informing and supporting and making that point that actually children's sports very different to the professional game the adult game then it can be a real challenge for parents and that's something that 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 was one of the main drivers behind why we set up what we did it's not telling people what to do Uh, it's it's just about giving people the chance to reflect and inform themselves a little bit more to make the best choices to to support their kids and there's look there's so many different ways of of going about it and and doing it um but it, but but what i do know is it's certainly not taking a copy of what we see on the tv and what we see in professional sport and then trying to sort of duplicate it back in the youth space yeah okay so that's a brilliant point that um some parents in particular may not have had a sporting background as you said and, and are now involved and their kids could be good or showing promise or in a team sport individual sport whatever it may be so what are the i suppose the common mistakes or behaviors and I'm, i don't want to be overly harsh on parents here as in i'm just curious so people could be listening to this going geez i wonder am i one of those parents so i suppose what are the common mistakes or behaviors that you would see and then I suppose we'll we'll talk about how we can potentially address them. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm massively with you on this. You know, we it, it's not about, um, I guess it's not about telling people how to parent. It's not about preaching to parents and it's not being, you know, harsh on parents because actually parents have a lot to deal with and the, and the challenges that they face, you know, being involved in sport are absolutely huge. I mean, if we t- if we take a look at some of the challenges and then look at some of the behaviours that go with that, you know, competitions are a really difficult thing for 
for parents to cope with you know there's a huge amount of stress just even watching your child perform but we know that whether we're watching them you know on the stage or or in sport that we're, we're naturally nervous and worked up and we don't we want things to go well we don't want to see them struggle we, we we want everything to be the the sort of perfect world so there's the challenge of that but thrown into the mix that we're not in actually any control when we're watching our kids do this. So there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. Even though we think we can, we're not actually in control of what's unfolding in front of us, really. Um, and then, of course, that, that thing around watching competition with the behaviours of other parents, managing the fact that if our children are having a bad day at the office and they're underperforming, and things haven't go, gone with it according to how we want them to go. And it, it, it's really difficult. We get hot under the collar. We get worked up. We don't know whether we want to talk. We don't know whether we want to cry. We don't know whether we, we want to run away. We don't know we're going to have to stand there and see it out. So, you know, the, the whole idea of watching our kids play sport is a, is a huge challenge. But, you know, you couple that with, I guess, the amount of time and commitment that parents can put into this as well. I think it just ramps up that that pressure and expectation you know it, it costs money to support children playing sport the amount of time we have to um, take them off to training and take them off to matches you know sometimes we don't feel as parents that we get all the information that we need and then we're involved in programs where if we don't have that information then we join up our own dots so we start thinking another person's favored over ours or we start trying to second guess why certain selections are made and we and we start just sort of making up our own narrative around the sporting experience rather than actually what is actually happening and by the time we've sort of taken advice from the person next to us who's probably particularly loud but is equally uninformed probably it, it really doesn't do a, a huge amount for us feeling good about our own parenting and and all of that thrown into the mix can be a can be a real sort of challenge for us and I think that that combination of all these stresses I guess plus with the fact that we think that if we commit huge amounts of time and money to sport that there's guaranteed success which there never will be I think it just ramps up our uh, the pressure on ourselves and our own perception. Um, and look, I often say to parents, you know, we, we've got to be we've got to be really patient. Um, there's no doubting that the the sporting journey is an extremely long one. But also, we're dealing with people here. You know, we're talking about time and money there, but children aren't commodities. You know, we're not, we can't expect to return like we would on the stock exchange with this just because we've committed some time and money to our research. There, there are no guaranteed returns. So I think we've got to look at the sporting experience in a much broader sense so that for us as parents, we're very clear in our mind what our children are gaining from it and what the success criteria may be and how we can make that work for all of us. So actually, we just end up with this really good environment about around the young player. Okay, so that's, it's, that's a really interesting point. So you're talking about reframing what success looks like for the youth athlete. So how then, if a coach is listening, and I guarantee you to be coaches listening, I've got 10 of those parents over my shoulder, roaring and shouting, etc., etc. But how does the coach then bring those parents along with him or her or bring those parents uh, into it 
help them see success as what we're talking about that more the longer term that maybe it's participation maybe it's retention maybe whatever but how, if you any strategies of how to do that yeah look i think i think with all these things, I think it's got to come from the top, hasn't it? And I think NGBs have started to do this. I think we've, what we've got to have, and this is where I have a huge sympathy for coaches. You know, my background is in, in, in coaching and education. And all those coaches listening, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I haven't pretended to be on a phone to avoid that parent because I haven't got an hour to talk about little Johnny again. I have done it. I have been there. I've got the T-shirt over all the years of doing it. But what I have recognised in more recent times is that there are fundamental fundamental you know, part of the, the sporting journey for a young person. And only if we have the club, the coach, the parent and the child or the athlete all aligned, can we achieve the best possible outcomes for young people? Because we can't have a, a club philosophy, for example, and then coaches doing something completely different to that club philosophy because then suddenly the parents are confused. How can we be part of this club? These coaches are, let's say, focusing on development. These coaches are purely about outcomes. Uh, the club have told us we're about development, but all we ever put on our social media feed is outcome-based stuff. So actually, that's what we're showing we truly value. So we, we've got to make sure that all of those things are aligned. And when they're aligned, then we can start giving consistent messaging to parents. Now, that comes through a, a, a wider club culture in terms of, I guess, how we communicate, what we put on our social media channels, what the whole ethos of the club is, the coach behaviours around that. You know, our coaches, we can talk about cultures and philosophies all day, but our coaches modelling those behaviours on a regular basis. Are we celebrating, let's say, because one of the things, Stephen, I didn't say when we were talking about how we reframe it, we very much look at it with parents on how do I know it's all been worth it as a parent. And I think, and I've said this many times, I'm on about take 185 on this when parents have said, Gordon, then you tell me, how do I know it's all been worth it? And my answer at the moment is this. If you view sport, which still remains today one of the safest vehicles to equip your children with a wide range of character and life skills that will allow them to thrive both in sport and whatever environment they go into, then it will have been absolutely worth it. And if we can watch the sporting experience and we pick out some of those key life and character traits, so things like, you know, resilience, determination, adaptability, creativity, you know, self self um self-reliance good decision makers good communicators if we're watching our children play sport and we see those things in our kids and we celebrate them and if as coaches we celebrate a lot of those key traits as well so that children see that they're an important part of the journey and they are because you know people can sit and listen to this and say oh well why are we framing it like that because the reality is that you're going to struggle to be a top sportsman unless you pretty good on quite a few of those anyway you know you're going to have to have those underpinning it but I think for us as parents it makes the whole journey a lot easier because it's like wow I've got a lot more celebration in this I've seen some determination for my kid this week I've seen them organize themselves well I've seen them communicate well with teammates I've seen them communicate wow this is really good and kids then start to see oh hang on a minute this is really good as well and it leads to better performances but rather than us just viewing it as, oh, well, I was selected this week or I lost at the weekend. So then that's the whole success criteria of the week. 
then, you know, it, it's just a far more positive way of going about it. And I think coaches then, if they have that attitude, and look, coaches listening, I, hey, I love winning. You know, let's get this clear. I say in every single webinar that I do with parents, let's get one thing on the table here. I am not a happy, clappy, laissez-faire parent who doesn't value winning and competition. You know, as a coach, as a player, as a parent now, I absolutely love winning and I still love winning watching it on the telly when my teams are doing. But, but what we've got to do is we've got to make sure that, yes, of course we're striving to win, of course we're striving to produce those outcomes, of course it's absolutely brilliant if that's going on. But what we've, all, what we've got to do is make sure that that isn't the only desired outcome, the only outcome that carries value, because there's far more to it than that. So we've got to be doing more on the, I guess, on you know what people have said for years, more on the process side of sport as opposed to what those specific outcomes are. So I think coaches have got to be really aware of that in terms of how they set up the sessions, what the parents are seeing, the language that they use, you know, our regular communication with parents on a weekly basis, what we're working on, um, you know, what, what sh what's that going to look like for parents? Are our children going to be struggling for a bit because we're learning some new stuff because... You know, that's important. Parents hate watching the kids struggle with stuff. But actually, if, we're, if they're learning new stuff, they are going to struggle. So, you know, let's, let's let them know that. You know, it's, it's, it's stuff like that. And then, of course, the parents meeting, I think, is really valuable where, you, you, you know, you've got to bring people in and, and have those dialogues to, to set your stall out. Okay, so loads. Of, you brought up loads of stuff I'd like to touch on. But um, you talk about the top down and, and having a culture and having a process and, and all that stuff. So. I'm going to come back to that, but in terms of what you just said there of having that parents meeting, that regular communications about this is what we're doing. These are our objectives. I love that example of we're doing something new, so they might struggle. So that's okay. So how does that happen in a practical sense? And what I'm really interested in is what happens when the one parent who thinks they know best stands up and says, well, I don't think we should do it like this or how, have we any strategies for, I suppose, trying to dealing with that situation? Look, I think I think the reality of this piece, and we found this, is that there are some people who it's going to take some shifting who come to one end of the spectrum. There's some people who your coach is listening who um, parents will drop them off and won't engage at all. And coaches often say to me, oh, well, that's a nightmare as well, Gordon. You know, what do I do? And I always say, for that end... Well, look, you've got to look after that kid a little bit more. I always felt as a teacher and a coach that if the parents weren't involved, I had to step into that role a little bit. And if they weren't getting that dialogue and support, I would try and provide some of that, you know, against my coaching. But that's just coaching the person in front of you, isn't it? I think at the far end of the of the scale, I think we've got to be non-confrontational in talking to these parents. But I think that I'd, I'd dread to think a parent would come into an environment at the age of seven, eight or nine and then start shouting the odds from the very beginning. I, I, I don't believe that people do that. And I, you know, certainly took my children out into different sports and never saw any indication of that at all. And I think that's where that early engagement with parents about what we're doing in our clubs, what our coach is doing in environments and try and help support them and inform them of what the sporting journey actually looks like. But I think what we do have to do is, I do think we have to provide a space as coaches, 
uh, to give parents a voice and have those dialogues. But I think those dialogues have to take place, you know, in a reasoned manner like we're talking now away from the training session, away from other parents, away from people feeling under pressure. And actually where people can just sort of discuss why and how and, and, and try and find a sort of common ground to to move forward with. Um, but, you know, the reality of, you, you know, you look around the place and I look at coaches who've really engaged with parents well or coaches who are running really good sessions and the environments are really good. You actually go and watch them and you can tell when they've got it all in order because... I think most human beings actually conform to what's going on around them. You know, let's be honest about this. You know, we're not shouting, you know, we're not singing you'll never walk alone on match point at Wimbledon. You know, for example, you know, and, 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 and we're not giving it a few songs when we're over six foot put to win the Open. You know, slightly different when we're at the Ryder Cup. But those environments are being created because that's the expected behaviour of what we're seeing around those sports and these spaces and I think most I think if we had really effective sidelines and parents being really positive in support and actually I think when you see it done well again I think parents then when new people come into the group say this is what we do here we support in this way this is what the coach is trying to do and they sort of bring everybody into line they sort of self-police it them themselves um, but I think you know coaches it is tough uh, you know, and it, we'll give a really good example here, Stephen, for coaches, because I think that coaches have to model the behaviours that they want to see from the people behind them. So I think if we're saying to parents, you shouldn't be yelling multiple instructions at players, I don't think we as coaches then can be yelling every three seconds to tell them to do the next thing. Um the, the and obviously coaches listening you know i i get coaching Let, let's be very clear here this isn't about giving appropriate feedback and doing your job as a coach but i'm talking about you know if we're screaming and shouting at officials if we're yelling multiple instructions it's going to be very difficult for us to turn around to the people five meters behind us and say oh, you're not allowed to do that but i but i'm allowed to do it in front of it so i think there's a a bit behind that but you know i i feel hugely sorry for coaches we've i've seen some really good coaching going on where coaches have been watching the sport, they've been thinking about it, they've given really good bits of feedback, they've done it really calmly with the kids, kids have understood it, gone on, done everything they wanted. And then I've spoken to parents you know, around that group who've then accused the coaches of lacking the same amount of passion that they do. And it couldn't be any more misguided. Just because they're quiet and not screaming the house down doesn't mean they don't care. But, but, but again, I think that goes back to what does a really good sporting environment look like? You know, that's a misinformed thing for me, that is. Because if parents are told, look, if you're just going to shout instructions to your kids every minute, how are they ever going to make any decisions for themselves? And there'll come a point where they've got to make those decisions on the field if they want to be any good. And actually, us yelling at them is not going to help them because they're not learning to, to, to make those solutions themselves. Now, if you start talking about it like that and start saying, oh, God, yeah, yeah, got to let him got to let him make mistakes, got to let him go through that because you've got to make mistakes to learn. You've got to understand how children learn and, and parents have got to get that as well. 
Children learn through trying things, making mistakes, going again, getting good feedback, practicing it, living those environments. If we do all of that for them or try to attempt to make those decisions, whether or not you think you're doing the best thing in the world to create a top performer, you couldn't be doing it any more wrong. And, and that's quite scary because I think lots of parents do that because they love their kid and they want them to do well and they think they're helping. Yeah. But actually, nobody's ever sat down and said, yeah, it might not be. I know we think we're helping, but do you know what? This this may not be a long-term solution. We've got enough science and data to back that up as well. Yeah, but you can like you can bring it right back to as basic as when uh, people are learning to read. Like when they're maybe struggling on the sound of a letter or a word, you let them sort of get there and you maybe give a little bit of assistance but if you don't let them have their own guess or their own mistake or whatever that makes sense and parents do it all the time the kids then learn from the mistakes as you just said and like i think i think we're a lot better than we used to be but i think there's still a um still a, a you mentioned right at the top uh about that sort of parents education and, and involving them in the process and and a clarity of what they're doing so given all that let's say we have all this sort of stuff and everything is going well from a parent's point of view but let's say results aren't happening on the pitch and we have disappointed kids etc etc or potentially disappointed parents how how do we sort of manage that disappointment and and get them to back to focus on that bigger picture Oh, I think, look, managing disappointment, whenever you talk to parents and, you know, I do stuff, as say, from grassroots right the way into pathway and performance sport. And one of the biggest topics they say is, I just hate it when my kids are upset or disappointed. Um, I don't think there can be any worse feeling. Um, I think we, we're desperate to make it better for our children because we feel bad, they feel bad. And we do our natural parenting thing to try and make it make it feel better. Um, I think we've got to understand why our kids play. I think we've got to understand what's motivating our children to play in the first place. And I often encourage parents to ask their children that at, at different stages on the journey because those responses will change. What our children regard as fun, for example, is is it could be very different to what we see as fun. But I think if we understand what our children, are, are, why they're playing, why they're involved, what they're trying to achieve... I think it gives us a better chance of being being able to support. But from a parental point of view, when things go wrong, I think it's really important that we don't overreact. The reality is, the reality is we're talking about a youth sports game. Yes, it's important. It's important to our kids. It could be important for our communities. But ultimately, away, whenever we finally get away, you know, two days later, it's ultimately just a youth sports game. Um, so I think it's important we don't overreact. I think when when emotions are running high with our children as well and they're upset, is that we actually give them the space to to be upset. I think it's very easy for us as parents to jump in. And when we jump in, we tend to blame other people. We tend to make excuses for why it's happened. We tend to try and reward them and shower them with gifts to try and take the pain away. Whereas the reality, and this sounds really harsh, the reality is for healthy child development, children need to go through those feelings of disappointment. And they bounce back far quicker than adults do. 
you know, let, let's be clear about this. While we're still stewing on it a week later, our children have forgotten about it that day and are worried about what they're having for the tea. But we tend to hold on to things as, as parents a lot longer than, than the children do. And those periods after competition or after thing, giving children that space where, do you know what, silence is fine. Let them think about it. Let them lead conversations. Ask them questions that allow them to reflect on how they're feeling is a really, really important sort of starting point in, in how we manage that disappointment. And I think that we don't then say, oh, it's only a game. It doesn't matter because, well, it does matter because they wouldn't be upset in the first place. If it, was, if, it, if it didn't matter, they, we wouldn't be sat here having the dialogue in the first place. So I think it's important that we don't overreact, but I also think it's important that we don't play it down and let our children tell us how they feel, to hear it from, from their uh, perspective. And I think then, we, we then, once we've sort of done that initial bit, we just need to plan about what does the next stage look like? What are we trying to do next week? What are we trying to do for next year's selection? What are the differences going to be that we can make? Would you like me to go and speak to your coach and see if there's anything we can work on that's separate? Is there anything that we can do differently? And then come up with a plan together, you and your child, about what the next stages look like. But I think the, the two key things in that is is you've got to understand that disappointment and failure is going to happen and you, you laugh Stephen in one of my um, webinars that I do with parents I give them this amazing choice I say look it's not Gordon McClelland I'm Father Christmas I'm going to offer you offer you one of these you can either have disappointment or devastation well they all start laughing and, and crying what do you mean they're the two well you can pick one which one are you going to pick and they'll say disappointment because it sounds a lot less <laughs> it sounds a lot worse than devastation but actually, the thing is, we can avoid devastation, we can't avoid disappointment, but we're going to have to learn to manage disappointment because disappointment and failure is a whole part of the whole sporting and, and learning journey and we've got to get comfortable with it, put it into perspective, recognise it for what it is, see it as learning and then move on to the next thing together whilst remembering that on the whole, we're just in a youth sports game. Well, that, that's all we're in. We're not, we're not at the Olympics yet. Hopefully one day, but we're not at the moment. I like that. Disappointment or devastation, make your choice. Uh, yeah. um, so ju just to touch on one thing there. So the, I totally agree with you. The kids bounce back very, very quickly. Um, so we hear the, the age-old argument around, like is it the importance of having fun when you're dealing with kids and then when you're dealing with youths and you will see coaches some coaches make the mistake of oh well the fun goes away now it becomes more competitive so do you see that from the parents side as well as in that they think that the fun should be not there as much as as they get older as they go through that transition well the lovely thing here Stephen, is we've got to define what fun is and that's a major issue, isn't it? And the, and the work that, you know, fun for one person is going to be very different for somebody else, whether that be a coach or whether that be the people participating. Um, you know, and when Amanda Visek did the work on this in the state, she came up with 82 different definitions of fun when asking children why they play. Um, 
Now that could be things like grazing your knees, eating hot dogs, getting given kit, winning, playing in tournaments. You know, all the responses you would expect to get in the 82 were there. The thing that surprised me actually is when children were asked was that winning came 48th and playing in a tournament came 60th. Now I just don't get that and coaches might not get that. And as a parent, I certainly didn't get that. How can I be possibly signing my kid up to sport and winning be 48th on their list on an average and playing in a tournament? Top three. Has to be a top three for me, that, to start with. And then you suddenly think, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. If this is what's been said, maybe I've got a very, very different view of what we should be gaining out of sport than what my kids think we should be gaining, you know, out of sport. You know, and look, Stephen, look, I've had my child's been in a Category 1 English football academy and played Man United and Liverpool. So any parents listening, I've been there, done that performance bit as well at sort of under 9, under 10. And I've, I've seen all of it. So it's not like we're talking from a, a sort of position of, of telling people, you know, how to parent. But I think that, for me, fun is individual. I would dread to think that my players, even though we won national titles and were competitive, still weren't having fun. I don't know why we have to separate the two. Surely as coaches, we can still be trying to push children and challenge children and achieve great things while still making the environments fun, putting them at the heart of the experience, making sure their needs are met first, creating coaching sessions that are fun and engaging, that make them want to come back for more, but still make them better. This isn't about turning it into something that, for for those that are really competitive, or as they move up from that initial level of sport into the next stage where it can't be fun. But I think what we've got to get away from, from a, a coaching point of view, and even perhaps even a parental point of view, is this sort of old style of dictatorial, this is the only way we're doing it this way, it's brutal, it's harsh. You know, we, d- we don't need to behave like that to achieve outcomes. The, the, there's better ways of going about it now. And, and I think that's going to come out in the media over the next few years as well. Yeah, no, and again, totally agree with you. And um kids are gas like <laughs> laughing at the answers that they're coming up with in 48 for winning and us tearing our hair out on the sideline or whatever um you've been brilliant with your time gordon I, if i could ask you for one final message if 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 parents were listening and they were only listening to this last couple of minutes um what would be your one takeaway that you'd want parents to take if they're if they have kids in youth sport Look, parents listening, let's get this really clear. There is no such thing as a perfect sports parent. And let's get it even more clear. I make hundreds of mistakes. Even though I live and breathe this, I am constantly getting it wrong. So don't beat yourselves up. Certainly don't beat yourselves up. But what I would encourage you to do is try and inform yourselves, reflect, think about what's actually at stake, what's going on and work with your child based on on what we know in the world of sport to give them the best possible journey that you can. And if you do that, not only will they enjoy it, but hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. And I, I think it should be a, a really special times in our in our lives watching our children play sport and enjoying it with them. 
Brilliant. Uh, I think that's a fantastic note to, to leave it. Gordon, there's been so much in that. We could, I could touch it for another hour uh, to, to, to try and tease out some of these things. Um, but uh, really, really appreciate you giving up your time. Giving up your time. Thank you so much. This podcast series has been brought to you by Tesco in partnership with the Camogie Association. Tesco, every little helps.